1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, I am flying solo live from Bally's Resort and Casino here in Las Vegas, Nevada, right there on the Strip at the Keystone Emerging Leaders Conference for 2022. What you're about to hear is a compilation of sound bites that I was fortunate enough to record with attendees of the conference, including keynote speaker, Mr. Allen Stein Jr. You're going to want to pay attention to this one. Strap on your seatbelt, because it's going to be a wild ride. And here we go. Hey, everybody, we are here live at Bally's in Vegas on the Strip, and I have the pleasure of having Mr. Allen Stein Jr. join me fresh out of his workshop and keynote this morning,
2: how do you think it went, man? I feel very good about it, you know, and I know you know this as a fellow speaker. Um, there's an intense satisfaction from being emotionally drained at the end <laughs> of a keynote or a workshop, where you feel like, you know, what I, I am, you know, it's physically not that challenging, right. but it's emotional. It's a huge investment you make in the folks, and I'm, yeah, I've got a, a very serene. Uh, sense of satisfaction now. I felt like it went well, um, but I've also learned in you know, having done this for a while that our emotions can sometimes trick how we feel we did immediately after right. so what I normally do is I kind of let things subside for a little while right. and then uh, yeah. yeah and then I'll reflect I'll go back look at my notes and in this case since they filmed some stuff I'll watch film clips and, and go back and see because I'm always trying to level up and improve my craft but to answer your question more succinctly I felt like it went well and the reason it went well is it's such a great audience and the folks at Keystone are so amazing to work with so uh, and I know you already know all of this
1: yeah I got really good feedback I mean a lot of good stuff on the Q&A too you know I think that's that's cool. Because a lot of times you'll get up and you'll speak and you'll deliver a keynote like that. And then you wonder, you know, did people leave with questions, you know, and my, my best case is that I can tell them I'm an open connector on social and reach out to me after here's my email address or whatever. And I like the format of being able to have that second block of time to really drill down on the things that matter to the audience the most. Then, you know, really should know when you leave, Hey, I feel like
2: we answered all the questions. Absolutely. And boy, this crowd they asked some really insightful questions. They asked very logical questions. When I look at what I shared during the keynote, of course, there was a you know you only have sixty minutes, so you can only share so much. So I of course there. Uh, some holes or some rabbit holes that we didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time on during the keynote. And they were the ones that pinpointed those and asked some really great questions. So um, yeah, I found uh, the Q and A, a success of a Q and A has much more to do with the Q's than it does the A's. And when people ask great questions, it encourages others to ask great questions, which then spark innovation to ask a different it was wonderful. I, I'm beaming right now from how wonderful this group is.
1: So, if you ever had a time in your yeah, speaking career when you get asked the question and it's deer in the headlights because
2: it's the one you weren't expecting, well, two things have happened a couple of times, and I've tried to learn from them. One is you open it up for questions, and you get crickets. No one wants to ask <laughs> it's the anything. Worst. Well, <laughs> and that's the thing because in that moment you're trying to reflect and say, okay either I covered the material so sufficiently that they're still processing it and they can't think of any questions or they're just ready for me to go ahead and move on. Y- you just don't know. Um, but yeah, there have definitely been some times where someone has asked something that I didn't quite know the best way to respond to. And my style is being very honest and transparent. And, and even right now on this podcast, if you ask me something that I don't feel comfortable answering honestly or sufficiently, I'll just tell you. Yeah, no. I, don't, I don't know the answer to this. But my mindset is, I'll try and find out for you. Send me an email and I'm going to try to find out this answer um, because now I'm curious because you just asked me something that I don't know and I'd like to know it. So usually people ask something that if I don't know it directly, it's kind of that seven degrees uh, uh, from Kevin Bacon. I know something that's tangential to that that might offer some help and then I'm going to go find the real answer for you. Absolutely. No, I'm exactly the same way. And it's completely transferable to the sales
1: game too. Yeah. How many times are you in a meeting with the prospect and they ask you the, the question that's like, as prepared as I am, nobody's ever asked me that before. I'm never going to make something up on the fly. Yeah. I'm going to admit, hey, don't know the answer to this, but I know the person who does. I'll go back to the
2: office, get the answer. I'll be yeah. back with you. Well, And you but- know, it's, it's been my experience that an admission of not knowing something, literally saying the words, I don't know, um, is... is part of being vulnerable. And I believe vulnerability is the key not only to sales, but to leadership, to parenting, you fill in the blank. So, if, you, if we can all step outside of our own ego, which I used to have trouble with in the past, I'm better at it now, and simply say, I don't know the answer to this, that might even be more of a connective tool than knowing the answer to it because you've just unconsciously shown those folks. This guy's willing to be truthful. He's willing to stand on a stage in front of a group of 200 strangers and admit he doesn't know something When we all know he's paid to come here and know something, and he doesn't know the answer. So it it actually, it's liberating. And now I don't have to hide behind pretending to know everything, because I certainly don't. I can share the things with you that I do know, and I can be very honest about the things I don't, and we can all get better from it.
1: I agree. Well, listen, I know you're on a time frame because you've got a plane to
2: catch. Anything that you want to leave is parting remarks. Well, I'm just disappointed that I have to catch a flight because I would love to stay and watch your sessions because I've heard so many people speak so highly of you, uh, both attendees and the folks here at Keystone. Um, I would have loved to have sat front row with my notebook out, taking notes. Uh, Hopefully, they're going to film it and I can get access to it because I know I'd learn from you, brother, and and I appreciate you having me on today.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure and safe travels, my friend.
2: Cool. Up next is my conversation with Mr. Andy Phillips, co-host of the
1: Playbook Podcast. Andy and his partner, Glenn Amarelli, are from the Yurconic Agency, and they are Keystone members. I got to tell you, if you enjoy this conversation, take just a minute and go listen to the Playbook Podcast. It's unique. It's different than any other podcast out there. And when I get together with those guys, we always have a great conversation. Check out this conversation with Mr. Andy Phillips. Playbook Podcast Tell everybody what's going on, man. What brought you to Vegas aside from the conference? What made you decide to come?
3: Uh, First off, being asked by your agency is always a good thing. Uh, So the leader, the fact that it's emerging leaders, I always tried to pride myself. I have a big sports background, and uh, you know, I always tell people my biggest honor in sports is being voted captain by my peers. So I always took pride in leadership, and this is one of the uh, you know events that they put on, and I've always been told that they do a great job at that really prioritizes leadership and team building and so far so good
1: well the event last night to kick things off did not disappoint my buddy steven no. sedlak and everybody that was in that team did a great job That's setting right. the tone and you're coming out right now after being in allen stein jr's keynote this morning how'd you feel about that
3: i loved it and I, my favorite part you know he, he did a great job of using stories To relate to people but my favorite part of the entire thing was him saying accountability is a gift you give somebody not a burden you put on and that's paraphrasing but I thought that was a great uh, way to look at it and more on the other side when you're held accountable look at it that way
1: yeah, no, that, that is a, a very good takeaway, and I think it's important, too, for people who are in leadership to understand that. I mean, accountability is a two-way street, and I know that that's something specifically in my agency that we deal with right now as the leader of the organization. I want my team to hold me equally as accountable as I hold them, and as long as they understand that and they participate in that, everything's great, you know. But I think that it, it takes time for your team to get to a point where they feel confident, Criticizing, for lack of a better term, or holding accountable the person that's signing their paycheck. And after you get through a couple of accountability exercises like that, it, it ends up changing the culture of your organization. I mean, I learned early in my career in retail, one of the best ways to to do that and get the feedback from your team is to have what's called a stop, start, and continue exercise. Okay. And so essentially we pull everybody into the conference room once a quarter. We're actually changing up doing this A little bit differently now because we're going through the EOS training with traction and all of that but a quick and dirty way to do it and and it's really very effective is to pull everybody in and get the whiteboard out and say what do I need to stop what do I need to start what do I need to continue and you may need to do it depending on how your operation runs you may need to do that with some level of uh, uh, anonymity so that people feel comfortable giving you the good feedback But you're going to have people that are willing to step out on a limb and give you the feedback in person. And once they understand that that's okay and there aren't going to be negative repercussions from that, it really is magic in an organization.
3: And that starts with communication. 100%. Your ability as a leader to hold them accountable, your ability as a leader to let them know the standard, your ability as a leader to tell them, the standard's for me as well. And when you see me not in line with the standard, let me know. And to be able to have that awareness and that comfortability as a leader to allow your employees to hold you to that standard, it sets the tempo for everyone saying, and I tell people all the time, Tom Brady just retired. <sighs> down down there in the great great. of I know, of man. You it was
1: so bad, too. Like, the, So a lot of people don't know this, but we have a festival that's probably bigger and raunchier than Mardi Gras okay. in Tampa called Gasparilla, and okay. it signifies when jose gaspar the the pirate that allegedly came in and conquered tampa they they reenact that every year so you have all these ceos and cfos of companies that are on these parade floats that they build and hold uh fundraising events for that are just sloshed you know riding down the main drag and then you have the people coming in in the flotilla of boats and they demand the keys to the city from the mayor and all of that and it's this massive massive deal and Tom Brady announces his retirement right in the middle of Gasparilla this year. Or it was the fake announcement of
3: retirement. But now everyone's talking about
1: it. Right. And so everything's like, you could just see, like, on TV, they're broadcasting the parade. It's like, wait, we have breaking news. And it's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me, man. And the thing
3: about Brady, what we were talking about a little bit ago, my in my opinion, the reason he accomplished so much and his team's accomplished so much was because he was a top dog very early on his career, yet it's infamous that Belichick was able in team meetings to call him out through year 16, 17, 18. He had the ability to take criticism. Yeah. And what that does for the rest of the team is if I'm, you know, if I'm a special teamer and I'm playing eight plays a game and I get yelled at about four of them and I leave upset, you can't be that upset because I'm going – well, if Tom Brady's getting yelled at. I guess I can get yelled at and held accountable too. That creates an environment that you can have a two-year, two, year, decade, two de- or two-decade dynasty, and then two-year baby little one down in It also
1: creates an environment where we're not going to put up with Antonio Brown's crap in Tampa, right? Like, yeah, that's that's the whole thing. So. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because I never really had an opinion on Brady. You know, a lot of people either were gung-ho, New England fans, loved him, or just hated him because that's just what happens when you're that hate successful. Him. You know, they, they, they hate him. And, and so I, I never really formed an opinion on him. But when he came to Tampa, he gained a fan, man. Oh, yeah. What what he has done, not, not even on the field, just the stuff that he does in the community – how he lifts up the people around him, that is not an act on TV. We see right. it in real time. And so for me, the bigger issue with Brady retiring is that piece. Is he still going to be around and investing in the community at that level? Because he made a big difference in Tampa in two years.
3: Well, Huge. He, he's a culture shifter, And that doesn't just mean the locker room.
1: No. in the real estate sense. market feels it, I can promise you, man, because now if you look at it, Tampa has the lightning that's back-to-back Stanley Cup winners. We had the Super Bowl with the Bucs, and they got into the – I mean, it look, it was a miracle they even got into the playoffs this year with how bad we were limping along, right? Agreed. And then the Rays have been in the playoffs. They were in the World Series two years ago, playoffs again. And if they can ever put it together, I honestly felt like we had a realistic shot of running the trifecta yeah. and, and pulling all three. But, you know, leadership is an interesting thing. And, I, you know, I think that when people are in the top-dog position, they're either loved or they're hated. And – You know, the hate isn't necessarily justified all the time. I just think it's people who wish they could have been in that position.
3: And just a real quick story, and then uh, I'll I'll, I'll get rid of myself for you. When I was – I had a brief stint with the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers is a lot like Brady in the sense of people have a very strong opinion one way or another about him. I tell people all the time I'm a major fan of him because of how he made me feel when I was there. The day I got signed, I was a trial guy. The day I got signed, I was the last man on the roster. The single last man on the roster, yet the very first walkthrough, who comes up to me, says, Hey, I'm Aaron. I laughed and said, I know. I'm Andy. (laughs) He sits there and he goes over protections with me. He asks me questions. He wanted to make sure I was comfortable with what I was here, the job I was here to do. And he knew in the back of his head, I'm not going to see this guy in five months ever again. But how you make the last man in your roster feel, how you make everybody feel. That goes miles off. Cause there's-
1: those are the things nobody ever sees, That right? See that. They see Rodgers holding out. They see Rodgers demanding a trade or demanding Correct. that the coach get – changed out or whatever else. They don't see all of the things that are going on behind the scenes. And I mean, as much as as I think I respect those guys as leaders, I respect them more as teammates. Yep. Right. Having been in organized athletics my pretty much entire life before I got too fat to do anything anymore, (laughs) you know, I I respect that because, you know, the, the natural progression you have, it's honestly not that much different than the insurance industry if you continue to up your game. But the people who are great in high school go to college and play. I mean, the ones who aren't really good enough to get drafted and then go into the minors, but they go to college and play, and you may be the best guy wherever you came from. Now everybody's the best guy wherever they came from. And if you make it past college and you go to the next level, you might have been the best guy there, but now everybody was the best guy there. That is correct. And it's it's insane to see. And so, you know, if, if you level up and you constantly can attach yourself to people like that, that you see progressing through the ranks, I think it automatically rubs off on everybody around you.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And the ability to keep leveling up is hard. Yep. But our buddy Alan there just gave you the his playbook of how to get that done, and I know you guys do a great job as well. I'm excited to hear you talk i got to follow him, man. We'll see what happens.
1: You know, you it said he tells a lot of stories. I tell a lot of stories, too. In fact, when, when Tammy asked me about uh, what slides I was going to use, I laughed. <laughs> I don't use slides. I tell stories, and I relate to people. That's, yeah. how, I, that's how I operate. That, so, that,
3: that's how he was, too. He didn't have a slide. Yeah. I, again, you're going to – you shouldn't you, – not saying no one with a slide speaks well, but you shouldn't need the slide to tell your story.
1: You know why I don't use them? Because I have ADHD, and if I have slides, it'll make short circuit. Yeah, yeah. I, it, will. it will be short-circuit. Yeah, yeah. It will. It, it will actually be terrible. I'm much better off if you just let me go.
3: Well, I think I think he set the standard, but I know you're going to live up to it.
1: Here we go. I'll do my best, man. I appreciate okay. you coming by. Good talking to you. Yes, again. sir. You too. <laughs>
3: hey, real quick plug for your podcast. Yeah, so uh, my partner at the Iconic Agency, Glenn Amarell and myself, we have this called the Playbook Podcast. Get it wherever you listen to podcasts. We've had David on. And uh, really, we just want to find out what's in your playbook. Everyone in leadership business has their own playbook. Just like great coaches, you might not take somebody's entire playbook. We might find that one play that yep. works for you and your team. That's what we get these people on to do. That's awesome.
1: And I got to tell you guys, if you haven't heard it, you should, because the format is really cool and it's entertaining for the people who listen to it. You're going to get a good experience in addition to good information. So take a look, listen to the Playbook podcast. You will not be disappointed. We are back at the Emerging Leaders Conference here at Bally's on the Strip in Las Vegas. And I am with Sean Egan from IPFS. We're going to talk just for a couple of seconds on his experiences so far at the conference, and then we're going to talk a little bit about premium financing and some things we think you guys might want to hear about.
4: Sean, how's your morning been so far? So far, so good. The first speaker, Alan Stein, I think was his name, was Mm -hmm. fantastic. He was like a basketball coach and very inspirational. I had two or three really good topics that we uh, covered. He was outstanding. No pressure on me for tomorrow, right? Well, he set the bar pretty high, but (laughs) I think you're going to do fine based on what I know about you.
1: Yeah, we'll see what happens, man. I could. I tell people sometimes when I get on stage like that, it's like the movie Old School when Frank the Tanks debate and James Carville and just blacks out for twenty minutes and doesn't remember anything, but absolutely nails it. They, that maybe that'll happen. But um, you know, IPFS is obviously here because you're engaged with Keystone. You guys are, are certainly a, a vendor that they prefer to use. I know from just talking to the agencies that I have a relationship with that are Keystone agencies. And, you know, premium financing is one of those things we never want to talk about, right? I mean, you're, you're in that role. We never want to talk about it. We never want to talk about digital advertising or any of those other things. And the problem with that is that's a confirmation bias on the agency principal's part. My, my perception, you know, I think that we need to take those meetings because I went for a long time of not taking those meetings and I didn't realize what I was missing out on. And it's not always just about, actual financing transaction as much as it is how business is conducted in general and I mean I was at Jason Cass's brain share back in September of this year and Davey had been chasing me Davy Holt from IPFS shout out to him wish he was here I don't know why he sold us down the river but whatever um, shout out to Davy. yeah and and I met him and Stephen Sedlak from here at Keystone had been trying to get me connected with him and it was one of those things where it's like eh. I'm good, man. You know, I don't don't really want to. And then I heard him get up and talk. And when I heard him talk about total pay, like I'm one of those people that when I hear something that I don't have, my mind is already going in a million different directions about how I can use that in my agency, if it makes sense. And what I heard, what I took away from a 30 minute Presentation was, I don't have to screw with agency bill anymore. Yep, that's was,
4: basically what it was. Yep. Boiled <laughs> so, it down to a 30 second sound bite. I that's did. That's really all
1: it is. And, and, and listen, if you're an agency principal <laughs> listening to this, which I mean, I got to believe with 20,000 people a month downloading this podcast, that there's a couple of you out there and you hate premium financing, it's probably because you're not with IPFS doing total pay. I came back from Brainshare. That was the number one takeaway that I had. It wasn't any of the speaking, even though that stuff was all really good. It was, I need to fix my premium financing in my agency. And immediately we did it. I mean, I came back. Davey sent me the information to fill out. And with and like a day later, we had already run our first agreement That's with you fantastic. guys and never looked back. But what I like about it, you know, why don't you, why don't you just explain what total pay is so that everybody has a grasp in, in why that makes sense for agencies
4: sure. out there today? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. You put it perfectly. If you hate premium finance, I might ask you the question, do you hate agency bill more? Yeah, that is exactly. We can take that kind of headache right off your plate. And basically what it does is that we are really good at collecting money. That's kind of our job. It's the only thing we do. We finance, we collect money. And so what we've recently expanded to in the last few years is if you have a bill for 20000 30000 as an agency bill account, you can send a link to your customer, and then the customer can kind of self-direct. Do I want to pay this thing in full, or do I want to premium finance? And then they can choose. And I, I kind of picture it as a... Amazon, I'm kind of an Amazon Prime junkie, Ugh. right?
1: <laughs> Every Monday is like Christmas morning at our house because the wife gets into the wine on
4: Saturday night and we never know what's coming it's Monday fantastic. morning. fantastic. It shows up a little yeah. package on the front door. But the beauty of Amazon Prime, right, is you find what you want, you buy it, you move on with your life, right? And 100%. that's from an insurance perspective. This IPFS total pay has that same kind of feel. So you have done all the work. You've selected the right insurance for your customer. You send it to them. And then you send them a link, and the customer says, yep, this looks good. They click here. It brings them to a pay portal, and they can say, I want to pay this thing in full. They can use a credit card. They can use an ACH sweep, and then they're done. And you get your money, and you get your commission. They're done. Or they say, oh, I sure would like to spread this thing out over 9 or 10 months. Here's a premium finance option that my fantastic broker has put in front of me, unsolicited. I didn't even ask him for this. This is good consultative selling. I'm going to go ahead and spread this thing out over 9, 10 months to follow the cash flow of my business, so I'm going to finance it. And it's the same kind of relationship. They click to sign, they click the down payment, and the down payment could be pulled out with a credit card or an ACH sweep, and then they're done, right? They've bought their insurance, they've paid for it, they're moving on with their lives, and then you get a nice package on your front door, which is your commission and a, and a payment in full on your agency bill, and you've done nothing but set it up.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think that's the biggest thing for me, right? Because we, we're, I'm in Florida and you're just not going to write excess and surplus lines in the middle market that aren't going to premium finance. It's just not the case. You're talking about everything we write almost is over 100,000 in premium. And unless a company just is that cash flush, they're not going to stroke a check for that amount. So from my perspective, in the old days, We used to have to generate an agency invoice for the down payment that the agency would then collect that would then get put into trust accounting, into into the trust account. And then you would have a premium finance agreement that was signed and you would have to send that in and that would get processed and then that would also get funded into your trust account. And then you would get an invoice from your wholesaler that was net of your commission and you would have to cut a check or do an ACH to the wholesaler for the amount you owed them, and then you transferred whatever percentage of your commission you wanted to move into operating in there. In my agency, we use a holdback in case there's any kind of issues with unearned premiums right. or commissions or whatever. But, I mean, that's a lot of steps, man. Here's what we do with IPFS total pay right now. We have an email that goes to the client. They have the ability to choose, do I want to pay in full or do I want to finance? If they want to finance, they make the down payment. IPFS takes that money and funds the actual insurance product that is financed, add the down payment to what they fund. They remit the money to the wholesaler on our behalf. We don't have that step. And then once the payment clears, I want to say it's like three or four business days, then I have my commissions back ACH. Like, why would I not want to do The biggest inconvenience of that is waiting three or four days for my commissions. Is that an inconvenience? No. That's right. why, why is that an inconvenience when we're getting paid once a month from every other carrier and you're actually getting your commissions four days after you, you know, and don't hold me to this because it may take longer, right? But yeah, it's like three to five. In our experience, it's three to five business days right. and that commissions in your account. That's actually the fastest way you're going to get commission aside from going through all of the steps and doing the things agency bill. And it just, it doesn't make sense, you know, to me to do it that way. So we have literally gone, we like, we, it's been months since my agency has generated an invoice for anything. That's fantastic. We're not generating anything out of QuickBooks or the, the um, agency management system out of Hawksoft, period. We've literally run everything through y'all, and you do the invoice. So it's just a matter of if somebody were to pay in full on a smaller policy, we would get funded at 100% of that, and we have to turn that in. But I also understand that's going away at some point in the future. You're actively working on a solution that will now allow even those full pay policies at some point down the road, you're going to remit the carrier or
4: the payment to the wholesaler on that as well. Yeah, we're always looking to enhance. And this idea actually came from you, you know, your brokers, your people. It came from a middle market insurance broker that said, this is a hassle. Could you guys help me with this? And most of our best ideas come from the insurance community. So we're always looking for suggestions. And that's another one that came in and we'll always be tweaking it and trying to make it easier.
1: I think there's another thing that's important to address and I'm going to do it cuz I don't want you to be the bad guy, but you got some competition out there throwing shade right now in You know, my problem with that is and and one of the things I think that makes me very, very comfortable in doing business with y'all is the fact that you own your stuff. You own your technology. You are the premium finance company. You are the payment processor. Right. That's correct. Across the board. Well, we have companies out there that are honestly technology companies that are playing premium finance company that don't own the premium finance relationship. They're white labeling it and they don't own the payment processing portion of it. They're white labeling it. And I think that's a really dangerous way to build your business. Now, I could be completely wrong about that, but I just know there's a lot of hype about people that are out there and, and they're laying out all of these things that they're capable of doing. And the, you know, I've got the podcast, I've got the agency, and I get hit up all the time. But my number one question is, Aren't you in this? Is, this was an actual conversation. Aren't you trying to do what IPFS is already doing? Like what, what is it that you're, you're, <laughs> you to be better served lining, aligning yourself with these guys in some way, shape or form instead of trying to Thank come you. out and take out the 800 pound gorilla right out of the box. And you know, Don't get caught up in marketing, people. Get caught up in results and track record. That's all I'm going to tell you about it. You know, people are out there representing they can do the same thing. And mechanically, maybe they can. But I think it's a a dangerous road to go down if you're working with a company that's just basically cobbling Everything together. I I view it as the difference between Samsung and Vizio, okay? If I go buy a Samsung TV, I know that I'm going to get 100% of Samsung parts, and it's manufactured by Samsung. It's crossed over Samsung's quality control. It comes in a Samsung box. I know exactly what I'm getting every single time. If I go buy a Vizio, Vizio manufactures no components of their own. In fact, if you buy a Vizio TV, you're getting a TV that's probably 65 to 75% Samsung components and then some other stuff cobbled together that is then shipped and assembled by a third, you know, by Vizio themselves and then distributed out under their own brand. Why do I want Vizio if I can go get Samsung for the same price, right? Yep. You know, it doesn't cost us anything to have a premium finance relationship. That's the other thing. It's a revenue stream for your agency.
4: If you're not taking advantage of that, man, you're leaving money on the table. So um, the whole package is: if we don't save you time or make you money, I don't know why I'm talking to you. Right. So our whole product is trying to save you time and make you money. In which case, in your case, it's both. It's both. Absolutely. And that's awesome.
1: Well, I I hope you guys have a great time here at the conference and that you're able to pick up some business. We're heading to dinner tonight, so I look forward to that. But, uh, people, if you are not handling your premium financing in the way that we just described, you definitely need to reach out to IPFS. I don't get paid to tell you that, they are not a sponsor of my podcast, they do not give me affiliate revenue. I'm 100% clear about that. When I recommend a product, it's because I believe in the product, I believe in the people, and I'm using it successfully in my agency. And IPFS checks all three boxes. You need to check them out. They can change the game in your agency in both efficiency and helping you build a good revenue stream. Sean, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing a few thoughts and look forward to getting this out to everybody.
4: Thank you, David. It's fantastic. Yes, sir.
1: Every once in a while... You come across somebody in the insurance industry that you know is destined to do great things. And my friend Katherine Smith from the great state of Tennessee is one of those people. What you're about to hear is an extremely open and vulnerable conversation between an agency owner and another agency owner at the Keystone Emerging Leaders Conference in Las Vegas. And the conversation was absolutely magical katherine smith from straight insurance did not disappoint okay hey everybody we are back live from bally's here on the las vegas strip in las vegas nevada for the keystone insurers group emerging leaders conference and i have one of my favorite people in the insurance industry with me right now Ms. katherine smith from straight insurance in the great state of tennessee glad to be here i'm so glad i had to fly all the way to vegas to see you.
5: <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad you did too
1: So I'm going to tell you what, I have actually been pleasantly surprised. It seems like there have been a lot of female participants here at this conference, as far as I can tell. I don't know how many of them are vendors versus how many of them are Keystone people, but I've been on record many times of talking about how i feel the insurance industry is male pale and stale and it's kind of refreshing to see that there's a, a larger level of participation than what i typically see at a conference do you agree with that or disagree
5: i actually made a comment this morning to my coworker that who is a female who i brought with me that every time i come to a keystone event there are more and more women with with each time especially at emerging leaders yeah. So yeah. Lots more. Lots more ladies representing.
1: That's good. Absolutely. So you know there has been a great amount of feedback that's come back. We actually just recorded with Alan Stein right before um, you and I jumped on. Nice. What were your takeaways from this morning?
5: Oh man, Alan was Alan was so good. I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. Um, but some of the things that he some of the things that he said that really spoke to me were about getting back to basics. With our team, we talk a lot about that Um, in our business plan. Our first pillar is operational excellence, which means doing the basics every single day. And if people don't work with us because we're nice or because we're friendly, they work with us because we do what we say we're going to do. We uh, meet our timelines and our deadlines. We're always courteous. Um, And if we can get those things done and do them daily, and he talked about how hard that is to just do the basics every day, but be really disciplined in that, then we are given the opportunity to go deeper in our relationships with our customers. So it was validating to me um, that that plan that we have is, you know, it works. Um, But then there are some other things too, um, just about trying to be present and, and live in the present, not worry about the past or the future. And uh, thinking specifically about our sales team and our sales goals, a reminder for myself was when we're in our sales meetings, don't focus so much on the outcome of what our sales goal is. Focus on, are we well prepared? Are we making the calls every day like we need to be? How are we getting back to basics on uh, meeting our sales goals so that... If we don't make it at the end of the year, we'll know that we did all the right things along the way to try to get there. And if we do, we'll also be really proud of the hard work we put in.
1: I think it would be hard for you not to get to where you want to go by the end of the year if you're focusing on the basics. And it's almost like you crawled inside my head for a little bit because one of the things that I've been talking about a lot lately is the fact that I think many times is the leadership of our agencies, we're so worried about the outcome that we forget about the process. Mm -hmm. And specifically in production, and it may be a little bit different, when you're dealing with personal lines or smaller commercial where it's a little bit more of a transactional sale than it is when you're you're out trying to differentiate yourself. But at the end of the day, there is a defined and I'm actually got a book coming out about this very, very soon. There's a defined set of behaviors that producers need to have. And they're not they're not awesomely, you know, glorious for us to be out, you know, there's, there's no real sexiness to what we do every day. It's just a grind that you're constantly doing over and over again. It's getting your calls in, your marketing drops, your emails, all of the things you need to do. But as the agency owner, if you haven't and, and I know you have, because you already said that you have a business plan, which puts you ahead of a lot of the people that you compete against. But if you define what the behaviors are and you hold the, the producer accountable to the behaviors, you're going to get the results almost every single time because you have the ability to course correct. I know that if I have a producer that goes three weeks without a meaningful appointment, I've got a problem. I need to look and see what that is. Now, sometimes there may not be a problem there. It may just be, it's just been a dry three weeks and the behaviors are all there. And I know that if they just continue to do those things, they're fine, but as the leader of my organization, I also need to go in and address that with them and say, look, You had a dry patch for the last three weeks. You haven't had any new business appointments or anything. I wanted to let you know you're doing everything that I've asked you to do right. Just trust the process. I'm trusting the process. I'm not beating you up. I don't want you beating yourself up because I understand this is a mental game. And if they're doing all of those things and they're not getting traction, it's just a matter of them continuing to do them until they push through. And then they're going to reap all of the benefits of, of sticking with it. But if we wait until the, the six month review or a quarterly review or an annual review and we're saying, where are you in relationship to your end of the year goal? To me, that's the wrong place to start. You can monitor behaviors on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. And as a, again, as a leader, that's our job. We have to make sure that we understand that they're executing what we expect the way we expect them to do that. What does that mean? That means that on Friday afternoons, I block my schedule. I wanna hear what they sound like on the phone, so I'm gonna to listen to their cold calls. I'm gonna go into our CRM, I'm gonna pull up a list of calls that people have made, I'm gonna to listen to those, and then I'm gonna give them constructive, I call it you know, uh, constructive criticism or congratula- and congratulate them on doing a good job. I always wanna reaffirm the positive behaviors very specifically and say, look, this was a great call. You probably don't even remember it. Go back and listen to this because this is, here's why this worked and then re, you know, reaffirm what you want them doing. And if it's something where they're not doing what you want, and explain that and course correct and say, hey, here's an example of a good call that you did. Here's where you fell off. I mean, it's no different than being an, a major league baseball player. And you see this a lot of the times where you've got somebody who's an all-star ball player and they get into a slump. What's the first thing they do? They, they go in and they start looking at film. What have I changed? What am I doing differently today than I was at this time last year? Is there a little correction I need to make in my swing? Is my timing off? What is it? And then they get back on the right path. But a lot of times I think that's where the ball is dropped. We, we measure the results, we monitor the results, but we don't define, measure, and monitor the behaviors
5: in right. real time. And sometimes I think people, we talked, or Andrew talked about how if you delegate something to someone, that means that you trust them. You, if you delegate something to someone, but then you look over their shoulder, it, we talked about micromanaging. But I think when it comes to sales or even just any position that you might be in charge of, People like to know that you're interested in what they're doing. They probably appreciate that you might be spot-checking because it means that you care and that you're helping them. It's not to micromanage. It's not to beat them down or nitpick everything that they do, but in our t- and in our agency, we talk a lot about having a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset, and someone who has a growth mindset sees feedback as an integral part of their ability to grow because they want it. They want it from their customers. They want it from their team, and... I think, especially with a dispersed workforce and people working from home, maybe there's a feeling of isolation and you know i'm just doing the same thing every day and no one sees the work that i do so by you blocking off time in your calendar on fridays to go back through and listen or even if you're the head of operations or if you if you oversee a group of account managers you can you know audit their work and that shows them that you care and that you want to help them be the best that they can be that's our equivalent to probably watching film
1: yeah no it is 100% and if you set the table right and you let people know that's the expectation. Hey, I'm not here to micromanage you, but right. I am here to make you better. Yeah. And I'm gonna be listening to your calls every Friday. Some weeks I might not listen to any of yours and focus on other people's, but you know, just know that it's coming from a place of improvement, not a place of me, you know, just coming and chastising you for not doing well on the phone. Sure. Hey, I hate the phones and I don't want anybody doing that to me, right? I want to be able to make sure that They're just following the basic stuff that we do. So you're in an interesting um, part of the country compared to where I'm at because it's just a whole different environment, whether it be from a labor standpoint or from a, um, you know, premium standpoint for revenue per account and all of that. Talk a little bit about what the marketplace is like for your agency right now.
5: Sure. Uh, the, The talent or the... The new business marketplace. You can do both. Yeah, they're both very different. So the talent marketplace um, is, it is, it is very, it is very interesting. Of course, across the country, we're seeing M&A activity, smaller agencies being gobbled up by, you know, the hubs or whatever's of the world. Um, But I still believe that there is a place for independent agencies um, in middle market. And I know that you believe that too. So Um, we actually hired our first full-time remote employee back in November. She lives in Cincinnati. Oh, wow. Yep. And so, uh, I have said from the beginning that we have to go where the talent is and we cannot be bound by geography. At the same time, I believe that we have a duty to train up the next generation of insurance professionals. So some of what I have tasked our team with is developing a training program for entry-level new employees that we're going to develop over the next couple of years. so we can bring in these new people and train them in our industry which is so desperately needed and some of them may stay with us. Some of them may go but until then we have to go wherever the talent is and the new uh, we have some travel requirements for that uh, that person or potential future people that allows them to just be in the office on a semi-regular basis and get to spend time with coworkers because that's important. But, uh, you know, in some ways it's very much like an every man for himself atmosphere, which you hate, but I've also been burned when I uh, have tried to be nice. And uh, so you just have to be really aggressive.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the willingness to allow people to work virtually changes the game for a lot of us. I think it's difficult. I mean, I I don't know your agency inside and out. I suspect that you're probably a little bit, you know, considering your second generation are or you, are you second third. or third? third. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I, I couldn't remember for sure. So third generation. That that's a whole separate set of challenges. Right. We could have a whole
5: other thing about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I mean just embracing that and knowing that you need to go that route. I mean, we're in the we're in a similar boat. The talent pool is very, very shallow. I don't I don't think it matters where you live in the country. I think the new game is finding those places in the country where you can find talent and that what you're able to afford to pay somebody right. actually matches up with that yes. because I could tell you right now, if I want to hire talent in Tampa, Florida, it's gonna be crickets. Right. You know, I'm not I, I understand what the market says. But I also know what jobs have specifically, you know, historically been worth. And I just can't get my head around some of this. It's so inflationary at this point. And what I see happening... If
5: you are a venture capitalist, go away.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think think what I see happening is I think I see a lot of people that are short-sighted. I see a lot of people that have been given opportunities by their agency. Um, I've seen incredibly generous benefits offerings and... Um, compensation plans put forth things that five years ago would have been top less than top one percent right yep and now i see people you know producers and otherwise just scoffing at it thinking Mm -hmm. oh wow you know uh, no i can immediately go down the street and get more I would like to caution anybody listening to this that is a producer right now that thinks that the grass is greener on the other side. That may be the case. The problem is that at some point the bottom is going to fall out. This, what we're dealing with right now, not
5: sustainable.
1: It's not sustainable at all. And you know, we we have to look at the long view, the the big picture, and things. And I mean, I think that's one of the things. I think it's probably easier for an account manager to look at that than it is a producer, right? I think that producers by, by and large overvalue their position in the organization. It's not that they're not important. I mean, top line revenue is extremely important, but you know, at some point you're gonna to have to produce period, right? Like you can only go so many places and get an opportunity to come in and like, and I've seen this where I see this happen a lot. And this is hundred percent why in my agency I don't hire producers from inside the industry. But I see it happen a lot with the big brokerages. You'll see somebody who will go to a marsh and they'll get a massive base salary and think that they're safe. And a year later, you find out that they left to go to Willis or Aon or somewhere else. And guess what? At some point, you run out of big brokerages that you can go in. You know, I have a saying, I say it all the time. If you're a producer and looking for a job, you're not a producer, period. Because good producers understand that when they get into an agency environment, that's willing to invest in them and take care of them, as long as they go out and produce and give the agency the same level of respect and effort that the agency's giving to them, they'll be wildly successful, make more than they ever can, and they'll have a place there forever. And I just, I I would caution anybody that's looking to make a lot of transitions right now, I think that we're just about at the point where the bubble is getting ready to bust and it could get crazy.
5: And I would also caution someone who, if, if you are looking and you do think that making a move is the best for you, don't underestimate your company's ability to, to counter. Um, whether you work for a big firm or not, I have seen some counter offers that will absolutely blow your mind. And I think the employees have been shocked because they've, they said, well, we've seen so many people just walk out and no one says a word and now the companies are coming back and trying to keep them so just be prepared and know that and just work through that in your mind you know what if they come in and double your salary what if what if what is it going to take for you to stay or leave and also know that most people who accept counter offers end up leaving within the next 18 months yeah it's just a fact or if they've inflated your salary so much how long is that going to last If they have to make cuts, you might be the first to go.
1: See, that's why I'm such a big proponent of producers being commission only, period, right? Because if they don't make enough money, they have nobody to blame but themselves. Right. And I think that this environment has caused agencies who are looking to expand and grow to move outside of the traditional compensation model and to some degree to our detriment because that bar is now getting set higher and higher and higher and at some point, it's just cost prohibitive, right? right. You know, I've, I've talked about this in, in our agency. I had two choices. I could either just stay by myself and hire account managers and continuously do nothing but go out and produce and have really good account executives that were the glue that held the business together. Or I could do what, I, what I've chosen to do, and that is scale through producers, but make sure that I'm bringing the right people in that are actually going to hit their production numbers, right? And so that's the big thing is, you know, I want producers to produce. I, I, the best way for for them to do that, in my opinion, is put them on commission only, let them eat what they kill. You know, you don't, you don't put them out to the wolves, right? Not, not maybe originally, but I mean, again, I've, I've talked about my hiring process enough over the years, people get it. You know, we don't have to worry about people being validated because they're validated before they ever come in the front door based on how we set it up. But it's just interesting because I know that you've gone through some struggles, and other people in Tennessee have that, that I know have gone through struggles. Because there's just not, there's not the the labor pool that you that you need, and, and the people that are available, it's just so crazily, in my opinion, overpriced. You know, right. and, and and I think the other thing is a lot of times our employees, our team members, think that our pockets are way deeper than what they really are, right? I mean, for an agency right now to survive and go out and hire, the agency has to have that long-term view because they're having to give so much to make the offers and bring people Correct. in and keep them.
5: Well, we were just finishing our budgeting process and we were looking at how much our payroll and benefits costs have increased over the last five years, but then also looking at our the number of people that we have in the agency hasn't really changed that much. And, of course, we want to make sure that we're fairly compensating our people but you know right now it is feels like it's it's it is the bubble's going to burst soon.
1: Well I can tell you we released payroll yeah. this morning and I got the email while I was here to go in and see the payroll number and I was like yeah, yeah. you know when did this happen yeah. you know I, I just ran it two weeks ago and it's already more than it was two weeks ago.
5: I will say um, a couple of things if you're for agency principals if you're Looking at your hiring process and trying to screen people, just some things that I've learned over the last couple of years is one is you know the Thanksgiving dinner test. Will a person? Would you bring this person to your family's Thanksgiving dinner? Um, would you feel comfortable? That's a great. That's a great metric for me to just know if I have a level of comfort in someone, even if they're different than me, if they're more introverted. Can they hang at your family's Thanksgiving dinner table now? If you have a crazy family like the Carruthers, I don't know. That'd be a really high bar. Ooh,
1: that, is a, um, that is a that is a tough ask for anybody. <laughs> and I can tell you, it's not just our immediate family, but when we do holidays, we just went through a period at Christmas time where my wife's entire family, like both of her sisters, her brother, I, I want to say we had. 10 kids under the age of 12 in all together for a period of a week. And like my contribution to the whole thing was I went out and I bought enough fireworks to (laughs) close down Disney for a night. So I was everybody's hero and they left me alone the rest of the week. But man, you get that loud New Jersey family together like that. It it hits every single preconceived notion that you've ever
5: thought. Um, the other the other two things I'll share is uh, I learned a, a framework actually through Keystone a couple of years ago, and uh, is is a person humble, hungry, and smart. If they're all three of those characteristics, then they will be a good a, a good team member. You just and described
1: actually, Josh Gurley.
5: That's and true. He's not even he's not standing even here. around no. here. Yes, he but is, as soon as
1: you said that, he's the humble, first guy I smart. thought of. Yeah. Stephen Sedlak, and exactly the absolutely. same. Christian Delosier, exactly and, the same. Um,
5: those are called uh, I think it's. Ideal, no, not, I forget what it, the Ideal Team Player. It's from that book. So if you could just Google Ideal Team Player Interview Questionnaire, you can find a free thing to download. And it gives you some questions that, of course, aren't insurance-related, but they dig into someone's character. And the last thing I would say, something that we have done, people can talk a good game all day long, but you have to test their work product before you bring them on board. So we actually have every applicant complete some kind of homework assignment before we make a final offer. We did this for an accounting position. We did this for a front desk position. We did this for a personal lines position. We've done it for um, account manager, commercial lines account managers. And it has been truly eye-opening because it gives you a sense of, can they communicate professionally? Can they put something in a Word document and actually have thoughts make sense on paper? Can they read the instructions on a prompt? Can they get you the homework on time? You have to set a deadline. And it has it has it has been the best thing that we have ever done. And I learned that at a previous company where I worked, and it was um, where you had to do you know work through some scenarios. And so I just and this is a great thing that if you want to involve your team in the hiring process, get them um, help get get them to help you create the homework assignment. They can use you can use uh, lost runs from a current client and redact them, and then you know give them some sort of scenario. But it helps, and then they can evaluate. Homework comes in, and the team can read and say, oh, uh, yeah, actually, this – and then it gets them excited, or they say, no, that, that person's not going to cut it. So those are the three things, I would say.
1: You know what? Those are three good things to end on, and I know that you have a session that you need to get do. into. It's in HR
5: tips. I want to be there for Oh, that. yeah,
1: absolutely. Listen, if there is anything that I took from the last 20 minutes, it's that we need more Catherine Smith on Power Producers. So <laughs> – I know we can go down a lot of rabbit holes. I want to make this the official introduction, or the official invitation, rather, that it's open whenever you're ready. I want to have you come back on and spend an hour just drilling down because I know kind. that you have a lot to bring, and I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me today.
5: Well, hey, it's, it's, it's a, thank you for the opportunity. Love being here in Vegas. We're having fun, and, uh, yeah, this will be session one.
1: There we go. Sounds great. Thanks. I can't think of a better way to wrap up this podcast and put a stamp on a successful Keystone Emerging Leaders Conference than to share this conversation between me and my three good friends, Josh Gurley, Steven Sedlak, and Christian Delozier. Listen up, people, because there is gold that gets spit over and over again in this session. All right, everybody, we are back live at Bally's in Las Vegas right here on the Strip with the golden voice, Steven Sedlak.
6: Thank you for having me back.
1: There he is. I didn't even have to boost the bass on that. (laughs) Mr. Josh Gurley. What's up, everybody? Good to see you, David. And last but definitely not least... Mr. Christian Delozier. None of these guys are stranger. Hello,
7: hello, hello. Looking sharp as always, my man. DC. Thank you. Yeah, yeah.
6: So um, action-packed morning so far, huh? Yeah, we had Alan Stein on, man. He uh, that guy is just full of energy. I mean, his mindset on everything is just at a different level, but his energy is just out the out the top. I mean,
7: yeah, Alan brought the heat today for sure.
1: I'm like thinking, like based on what I've heard. That I need to like shotgun a bang energy drink on stage right before I start tomorrow. Well, you're high energy too, I, so I, I think you'll be okay. But if you want to take it up another level, I think he's over. in better shape. Though when I get high energy, I get out of breath. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, the best thing is
8: the person that's going to introduce you tomorrow.
1: Well, no, this is that, a whole. That's going to get you well, hyped up. this go. is a series I'm, of events, right? That says, like, tell the story. I'm
6: introducing Josh
1: Gurley, who will then be introducing David Crump. There's a lot of introductions here. <laughs> That's what he said. Sedlak said, well, Josh said he wanted to introduce you, so I'm going to introduce Josh.
8: Well, I'm just going to start by telling the people how extra you are.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I I mean, I showed up with this rig for recording at the the event. That's pretty extra.
8: That is extra. And I'll tell you what else is extra is Keystone is extra. Like, this has just been an organization, I think, that all three of us, Could undoubtedly say has made a huge difference in our career. I know for me personally, um, it's been an incredible group to be a part of.
6: Yeah, I I agree 100%. I haven't looked back since we joined 2011, 2012, and um, this event has just taken off and it's become my favorite event that I attend every year, but also, you know, we have a record number this year. And this is just all Keystone agents and candidates and and sponsors, but it, it has become the most. Uh, Attended the one that everybody wants to go to every year because the content that we provide in this one is just, you know, it's at a different level than a pony show that's just going to back everybody, you know, pat everybody on the back. So I agree. Yeah. And I think what
8: Alan said this morning, I mean, was just very, you know, good for our industry to hear because he, he's obviously read the book, the principle of the path because he talked about direction determines destination the whole time. I mean, if we wanted to come to Las Vegas and you're in Atlanta, Georgia, and you get on an airplane and you start flying east, you're never going to get to Las Vegas unless you fly around the entire world, right? You have to fly west to be able to get there. And so it's not about what you want to do. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what you think or what anybody else thinks. It's about what you do. And I think he did a great job this morning of letting everybody know that and just remind them that that's the most important part is taking those steps forward in the behavior that every producer needs needs to follow and I'm sure for the two of you guys or the three of you guys I mean just like me the things that we've done to be successful in our agency have just come down to behavior and doing things every single day
6: it's funny. Like, like he said it's the mindset right? yeah Well,
1: Delosio you had a little one-on-one time with Alan Stein jr. there at the end how'd that go <laughs> What would you guys talk about <laughs>
7: Oh, I got a new bromance. You got some competition, Dave. <laughs>
1: you know what? I'm. Uh, that's okay. Is, is, <laughs> Al- is Alan going to be your plus one to Key West? That's, that's the real question.
7: <laughs> well, if Miss Delosier uh, has anything to say about it, no, uh, sh- she'll be in my plus one. But uh, yeah, the, the, talking about habits and just the fundamentals. And I had heard someone give a presentation not long ago that, and he's he's a sports psychologist and a sports coach. So I use a lot of sports analogies, but they're so true. Like, Steph Curry is in there shooting free throws until he makes the number that he wants. Now, Steph Curry does not need to know how to learn how to shoot a free throw. He knows. He's known how to shoot a free throw since probably, I don't know, five, six years old when he started playing maybe. But all the pros at the highest level continue to do the fundamentals, and that's something that we need to focus on in our organization as well.
1: What's the thing that gets abandoned the easiest because it's the most boring, right? Like – We don't want to have, Josh and I were talking about this at breakfast this morning, even in my own book, you know, I'm out teaching producers how to go out and prospect and close business. But if I sit back and look in the mirror, I'm horrible at prospecting, you know, my existing book, right? Not now, do I know how to build a funnel? Yes. Do I know how to research leads? Yes. What I'm talking about is I end up with like four or five things I'm working on and then one of them will hit and that gets all my attention and I'm, yeah. I'm literally going through this right now i wrote a big account right at the end of the year in 2021 and it is gobbling up a ton of my time and i'm not spending any time to prospect because i'm worried about taking care of getting that 100 percent on board maybe that's middle market specific you know yeah. but i feel like i could probably be a lot more productive in terms of bringing revenue on the books if I still went back and just forced myself, right? It, it's it's a forced habit it, to a certain degree. We know we need to be doing it. It's just it comes to the point of well, you know, I wrote this account. I'm good for the. I mean, I, the account I wrote. I'm good for a year. Um,
7: Congratulations. Yes.
1: Yeah, so do I want to yeah. do I want to work on that or do I want to just go after more? And you know, the other thing too is from an agency leadership standpoint, I think when you're the principal of the agency. You know, my number one goal this year for 2022 is to not produce a single account. I don't want to write any new business at all for myself personally, because if I'm producing, I'm not leading. And so I think that I'm more valuable to the organization if I step away from that altogether. So I always find it interesting when people are talking about, um, you know, fundamentals and whether it be shooting the free throws or look at at the pros that are always at the driving range. How many times do these golfers go play around in a tournament And then the next thing you know, they're right back at the range right after they're done playing that round to get ready for the next day. And then they show up early that next day to get warmed up and have that routine. And I think that sometimes it's just easy. It's like exercise or diet or anything else. You take one day off, and then it's a week off and a month off. And the next thing you know, you're off the
6: rails completely. Well, if you look at it, every great athlete in the world has a coach. Every golfer, Tiger, Tiger Woods has a swing coach. He's got coaches. He, maybe not anymore, but he used to be, he had coaches. So the people that have the mindset that they can do it all themselves without any help or anything, I think that's an absurd statement. And, again, I think going back to that fundamentals aspect that he was talking about, when he said that, you know, about the basics that they practice, that, I literally wrote down cold call, cold call, cold call. Again, I do it. That's how I press business. Do I do it enough? No. Right. You know, if I set that every day as an hour, that I'm going to cold call for one hour, the, the amount of – opportunities I'm going to have are going to be way greater. It's just, you got to focus and put that mindset in place to do that. Well,
1: that's the first thing. It's got to get on the schedule. You, you have to have that on the calendar. For me, if I have it on the calendar, it's going to get done 100% of the time. I joke about it. I've probably said it four dozen times on the podcast. I'm going to say it four dozen in one. I'm like freaking Ron Burgundy with the teleprompter with my calendar. If yeah. it's on my calendar, I'm going to do it exactly as it tells me I need to do it, Period. If it's not on the calendar, it ain't getting done. Like, And it's gotten to the point, even with stuff at home, where Andrea knows that if she wants me to make sure that I'm at something, she sends me a meeting request so that it hits the calendar, and that way I know. And it's actually gotten rid of a ton of stress between the two of us, because with me traveling for work and her traveling for work and all of the kids' extracurricular stuff... We just basically treat our work calendars as part of our, our family stuff at this point, and it always shows up.
8: We'll, we'll go into the sports thing. I, so I heard the statistic that for, for a guy like Tiger Woods that's made, you know, $500 million on the PGA Tour, the difference in somebody that plays on the PGA Tour and somebody that plays on the Corn Ferry Tour is not as big as you would think. It's one quarter of one stroke per round. That's it, Right. And, and, and that's the difference in playing for a million dollars a week and playing for $100,000 a week. So it's not like these guys are a- Also coming, not a bad option, by the no, way. Also, also not a bad option. But the, it's not like these guys are five or ten strokes around better. It's only one quarter of one stroke. And, um, you know, to go to Stephen's point about prospecting, you know, and we brought on an account last week. We've been working on this account for quite a while – um, IPFS really helped us on this account with the financing um, but it was a group of, of physicians and it was over $300,000 in insurance premium and so we spent a lot of time on this account we wanted to do a great job you know, for the client but for like two or three weeks I mean it was like every single day all day working on this or talking about this or going back and forth with somebody on this and then for three solid weeks I did not make a single outbound prospect call now that 's on me. I could have modified my behavior, and in my head I was like look i 've already received an agent of record on this account, like I know this thing is closing it 's just working out the details, and you know and I wanted to spend all my time on that to do a really good job, but again i didn 't do what I needed to do in finding the, you know, the next opportunity. And that may be something that's just common in middle market where you're going to have a quarter and you're going to really run it up in that quarter and then maybe the next one's not so big.
1: Well, but that's the problem, right? That's why the next one's not so big or the one after that because we end up getting, getting distracted in focusing all of, all of our effort on, on one account and pushing the other stuff to the side. And we, you just can't quit prospecting, period. None of us can. Like We always should be prospecting, period we go to dinner tonight. I'm prospecting, right? But I mean, that, that story, you know, for the listeners they that are hearing this, this is going to be edited down, obviously, but I just spent a good amount of time with Sean Egan from IPFS talking about their product and how, how great it is just from the total pay standpoint and the fact that it's taken and completely removed agency bill from my agency, right? But in your situation... Again, it talks about why it's so important to have the relationship with the finance company, which I told, I told Sean when we were talking. I don't want a relationship with a premium finance company. That's the last people, like one of the worst people for me to want to talk to until I need them. And so it goes like everything else. You ignore, you ignore, you ignore. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting at Brainshare and I hear Davey Holt from IPFS talk about total pay. And I'm like, holy crap, this is like something I probably should have listened to all the other times Stephen Lack told me I needed to talk to Davey, Amen. right? But it's, you know, so we made that change. But I mean, in your situation, you went back to them and you asked for very specific terms to be addressed and they made it happen.
8: Absolutely. I mean, we, we went to them and said, this is a, a physician's group. These people are, you know, great pay, great credit. And and they really stepped it up. And, and I don't know if I should say this on the air, but they gave us a rate that was 3.25%.
6: Yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs>
8: <laughs> maybe, maybe David can, can edit it out. But I'm telling you, that's unheard of in the finance world.
6: Well, I think I, that's to your point, right? there. You have that relationship mm-hmm. with them now and with Davey and these guys that they know you, they know what kind of quality uh, – accounts you're bringing to the table and they're willing to do that. Are they going to do that for everybody? Probably not. But if you get on a level with them and get that relationship built, they will do things for you that other premium finance companies might not. Do. Well, and they certainly are doing
1: things for you that people who don't have their own premium finance company you know, are able to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people out there right now representing themselves that they're an actual premium finance company when they're really renting, renting somebody else's paper. You know, I could tell people I have a Lamborghini if I'm borrowing it from Turo, but it doesn't mean that it's a Ferrari sitting down
6: right up front out here.
1: So anyhow, not to beat that horse, but I mean, people pay attention to premium financing. This is the second time you've heard it out of like four conversations. Make it happen. IPFS is fantastic. There are other options out there, but they're all way behind. As far as I'm concerned, Christian, you have said like literally nothing.
7: I know. I'm just sitting over here taking it all in. Come I'm on, take, man. Take, taking notes. What
1: are, what are your biggest takeaways from this morning so far? Now, now from what I understand, and I wasn't in there because I was out here manning all of this stuff, um, because based on the demographic I've seen out on the strip, I could go in there for five minutes and come out and see this like yes. <laughs> sitting out in front of Paris yes. with, with a tweaker going yeah. nuts. But um I understand that it was like a keynote followed by a workshop, which is similar to the format that I'm going to do tomorrow. What What were the takeaways from the workshop? I assume that there was a lot of drill down there. It, was, to the it ended
7: up being more of q and A than yeah, it was,
6: which I think is good because that's what people, you know, they got the questions that they want to get answered. So he's addressing what people want to hear, which is very similar to you do. But I mean, Christian had some good questions. And
1: oh, I bet he did stuff out of it. Christian Christian is one of the most cerebral people I know. He like, he is a, a chronic, cerebral child. he's a chronic, he is a chronic thinker. Like he is always thinking about something.
8: Christian's question was so great because he he, you know, prefaced his question with like a four minute statement and he said, <laughs> okay, I am now ready to ask my question. Well, I always it,
7: got a lot. Hey, you put a microphone in my hand. I've always got a lot to say now. I'm just taking notes here in this conversation, but I wanted to share something with him and that was just a, a mindset that I've tried to implement and, you know, I've learned something from you, and that's with your calendar. You mentioned a minute ago, you get intentional with your time. You have to. Not only your clients, but your team members and your family. So getting intentional in 2022 was one of the things that I really wanted to focus on. And I used the, uh, the, the comment about, and it, it's not, I probably need a little polish, but you know, I don't like anybody to cheat me on anything. So if I don't like anybody else cheat me, I'm not going to cheat on myself. Whether that's working out or that's doing my meditation, did you did you have that same mindset? No, he's did got you? a little he's got a little
1: statement though that he talks about. It's okay to cheat on your job. Oh yes, right?
7: yes, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: which is a
8: great book, Choosing to Cheat by Andy Stanley. I'll give that a plug on the podcast, but but yeah. you should check that out. Principle of the Path and uh, and Choosing to Cheat. I'm it's waiting. Right.
7: You told me you're going to send it to me, and it
8: still
1: hasn't arrived. <laughs>
7: So I, I guess
8: don't... I'm just very unreliable. I'm choosing to cheat on you.
1: <laughs> so what was the, but what is the statement about though? I mean, I think that's important too, because we can talk about being intentional with our calendar. I think the one thing I want people to hear from what I had to say is that I chose to include all of my personal and family stuff on my calendar, because the biggest thing for me that I want to make sure of a hundred percent of the time is my family's not the one getting shortchanged. Right. I'm yeah. very, very intentional. And has it cost me business? It absolutely has. But you know what? I honestly think that because I have my priorities right, that I've also gained business from people who respect that.
7: So he used the, is it, was it Lou Holtz that he talked about yeah. in there with the acronym WIN? What's important now? Yeah. And everything you put on the calendar is exactly, and that's perfect. It's what's important now. Because if you don't get intentional about making time for clients, team, family, yeah. You know, there's all kinds of things that are that are begging for our time. I, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself, like shiny objects. Like when I try to sit down and do a little headspace meditation, there are a million things. You would probably deal with the same thing. Oh, like, 100%.
1: Just, no, I mean, they're, like, so for me, meditation is just not even going to happen. Medi- med- meditation for me is the drive to and from work. Seriously. Like, or if I'm going to an appointment, those are the times that I'll sit down and I'll I'll, I'll be just, Running a million ideas. Put me on the plane for four hours to Vegas. It was like almost... Uncontrollable, like my mind was going so many different directions. You know, and my problem has always been that I'll forget like 90% of that stuff. So one thing that I've also started doing is I've started dictating to myself so that as I have these ideas, that I put them somewhere that I can go back and listen to them later. It used to be I'd have like 15 legal pads laying around the office that were all, you know, full of the things that I was never going to execute on, but thought they were awesome ideas
6: at the time. Well, I think to your point, Christian, you know, he was talking about... Um, you know, bookends of your day, the first hour and the last hour, how important it is to have that structure in there. You know, and, and I think people always try to find that oh, what should I be doing? What do I need to do? What, you know, somebody asked him, what do you do for the first hour and last hour? And I think it's important for people to realize that you just need to find what works for you. You know, don't look at, you'll find this self help self-help book that tells you this is what you need to do. Everything in there is not going to be for you. You yeah, need right. to figure out what is best. Like meditating, it's not for me either. I'm not going to meditate, just not going to do it. Um, but working out, yeah, I need to implement that more in the morning. I feel you might, you might accidentally fall asleep if you meditate. I mean, I know you
1: operate on like 24 hours a day right
6: now. <laughs> yeah, I think about 30 minutes, 45 minutes a night. So. You get the random text from Sedlak at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> and then again at like 5.30. I was going to say midnight's early. Like
1: yeah. I've, woke, I've woke up, I'm at the age now where I wake up a couple times in the middle of the night and I'll have to do my trudge back and forth to the bathroom and – more nights than not, there's a text at like two o'clock in the morning from Sedlak.
6: Well, well, then there's there's nights that catches up with me, and I go to bed early. And some people text me, and they go, "Dude, what's wrong? You're not answering." I'm like, I
7: had to go to bed <laughs> early. Find your it? sleeping habits. I'd have conquered the world twice by now. What, like, you, what are you I'm, trying to say? I mean you
6: sleep like
1: four <laughs> hey, hours you're, you're, like you're not <laughs> meeting your potential, Mr. live. <laughs> that's not what I meant.
8: <laughs> no, I meant my own world, not yeah. Well, hey, one thing I can say that's true about everybody on the, this talking here right now, and this is kind of the point I think of of being in the moment, is that it is just, you know, simply saying there's a few things that I can't delegate. And that's the way that I always say it. And you know, I can't delegate my relationship with my wife to, you know, to, to somebody else. If I did, that'd be a really bad move for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but especially my kids, right? I can't, I
1: can't. Delegate. I don't know, man. I delegated my relationship with my wife to Delosier last night at the,
7: uh,
4: <laughs> I was wondering if
1: you were getting a little
7: hot under there. She is very, very nice lady. That was the first time I ever she had to She would also here. cut you but, in a heartbeat. Very, <laughs> just She's from
8: New Jersey. Yeah. But you you know, your kids, I mean, you can't delegate your relationship with, with your kids either. So, uh. You know, I think sometimes we just have to keep it all in perspective and and, and realize that we get to do this, we get to be an incri- in just an amazing industry. You know, I think it's what cast that says it's the greatest industry God ever created. Yeah. And and so, um,
1: I agree I don't with know. that, man. I mean, I I could have been at home this morning, or I could have been sitting on the Las Vegas Strip eating a fabulous breakfast. Where'd you guys go? With uh, Josh and his wife, we went to Par- the little yeah. cafe over at Paris. Yeah. It was fantastic, right?
8: Yeah, it was. It was amazing. The people watching was was even better.
6: Yeah, that's a, that's one of the best parts. The the, the the best
8: part about it was when we were walking to Paris. There, were, <laughs> there, there was a guy, and he, he just walks out of CVS and he just spikes like a three quarter full Modelo. He yeah, had a tall boy. A tall boy of yeah. Modelo just slams it down. Slams did it, he Do it
1: the, the tornado?
7: Did he spin it around. And you do know the what? Tornado? He actually
1: did. He did that, and he slammed it down, and then he just started like going off on himself and it's like this is not what I normally deal with before breakfast at no, home, you know him. he
7: hadn't gone to sleep yet that's the I, he funny might be thing about on the street
1: uh, no there's a one thousand percent chance that's the case,, yeah. but it's just like. I don't know man it was it's just it an interesting experience but i know this i know that there are plenty of times i wake up and have breakfast in key west thankful to the insu- uh thanks to the insurance industry or i was in denver a couple of weeks ago thanks to the insurance industry so yeah. you know a lot of times i think that there are people out there that they get caught up and they they're worried about hitting their numbers hitting their numbers and, and maybe they lose um they lose their passion or they lose their drive and, you know, one of the things that I say all the time is the paychecks are sexy, but the process never is. And you have to embrace the grind. You have to hit the process. You have to make your dials. You have to make your emails. You have to do all of that stuff. But there is greener there are greener pastures on the other side that when you push through, it's not just monetary. It's the friendships, you know, the friendship that I have with the three of you guys. and. Um, just the relationships that you make and the ability to, to earn and travel and do all that, holy cow. Yep. Like, what other occupations do you have that flexibility and ability? Not very
6: many. Not many. Most of them, you got to go to school for another eight years or so. Sometimes. Yeah, you don't even have to go to school to do this.
8: Yep. <laughs> like, you seriously. Just, in, in Georgia, you have to take a 40 hour class and, and thus get a license. You know, I don't, what,
1: what is, what's it like in Missouri? Similar. See, in Florida, I, I always thought, I couldn't believe, like, how easy it was to get a license in Florida. And then I realized we're, like, one of the hardest because we were 200 hours in class. Like, when I went, I went to school 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, for five weeks.
6: Well, that nothing chaps my ass more when I hear people talking about, oh, this person was talking about their insurance. They're not even licensed. Like, people in our industry sometimes make it out to be, like, We hold a law degree. It's really not hard to get licensed. But the good agents can separate themselves. But I just it just blows my mind when people get so upset. I get it, I understand it's a law, you should talk to somebody that's an advisor and it has the license, but it's it's not hard to get it. It's just what you do when you have it that makes you successful or
7: not successful. I think this would be a good segue that in Missouri, and I don't know, are you Missouri you're Illinois? I'm Missouri. Okay. So it is, in my opinion, too easy to get licensed, which is why you shouldn't look when you're looking for an insurance broker, you shouldn't be just stopping with who's licensed. Like, look at the credentials behind their name. Like, you've got CIC and CRM, and you guys both have CRC as well. Um, I couldn't suffer through the CRM. I should. I need to get back going again. Yeah, you should. But Alan Steinwood.
6: Don't, <laughs> don't cheat on yourself.
7: <laughs> oh, you guys are going to. Here's a goal for delivery push, in yeah, 2022. Uh, CRM. I do have other goals in place. (laughs) Um, But look at those designations to see who is a true professional, not just somebody that can sell you an insurance policy, but somebody that can do it well and should be. Because we all know, like, I've got tools in my garage. I could go work on my car. I shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. Ever. Ever.
1: Well, I look at it like this. You know, I think that from a buyer's perspective that the common denominator is we all have the ability to place insurance for people. We're all licensed. Anybody, I would assume that anybody that's calling on a prospect is licensed and has the ability to structure and place coverage that's normal. What What are you going to do to be un, be uncommon in a common environment? That's the difference, right? And, it, you know, going out, getting designations, educating yourself better. Here, hey, people, here's another one. Don't pencil whip your continuing ed. Like, actually take it seriously. If you have a regular license and no designations, that might be a little bit more difficult. But if you're in CIC, don't, don't just go listen to the Commercial Casualty Institute every time. Get into the rubles. Get into the stuff that Makes you a little bit uncomfortable that you're hearing wondering if you have done it right on your accounts because you didn't even
6: know some of that stuff before you sat down and listened to it. I, I, when pandemic hit and they did all the stuff virtual, that was the worst CSE update I ever took because I got nothing out of it besides just getting the update. And so I, I told them, I go, you know, they kept telling me they're going to bring them back, bring them back. So I'm like, I'm waiting. Give me yeah. extensions until you bring them back because I want to get value out of this and bring, you know, learn something. Hey, else. they'll
1: get you on the – listen, you better communicate that because yeah. they're real serious about making sure you're up to date. When Ethan was going through all of his issues and we were flying back and forth to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, I completely – Forgot, you know, like like I didn't like I didn't have other important things right. on my plate, right? So I got I ended up getting almost two years behind in my designation, and I got a registered letter from the National Alliance saying, "Hey bud, you need to cease and desist using your designations." And a screenshot of my LinkedIn profile. I'm like, "Holy crap! Never even thought about this." You know, and they were really cool about it. Obviously, I picked up the phone and explained what was going on. But I mean, people. You start digging a hole like that; it's a hard, it's a hard hole to get out of. It literally took me like the next five years to get the two that I missed caught up, plus everything else, and get it up to date. And they were really gracious about working with me on it. But I've actually enjoyed the virtual piece um, from the aspect of I don't need it for continuing at this point because my my numbers are good. I'm actually a year ahead now. But what I like to do specifically because they have the subscription for like seven hundred bucks online. I like to just go and listen to the rubles. I'll put it on my iPad and while I'm working and just listen to it so that I can absorb what they're saying. And there's some good stuff in there. There's a lot of stuff that I think is so technical none of us are ever going to talk about it at the point of sale because there's really, there's really not a place to talk about it to a client. But it lets you know, that you, you know what you don't know pretty darn quick.
7: I agree. So the, the million dollar question, do you have your next update on your calendar? My next update for what for your cic a year
1: yeah i'm a year ahead man oh you're a year ahead i'm okay, a year sorry, ahead sorry. so no i yeah. mean i've literally just decided that with that deal they have i'll just keep paying the 700s yeah. and i'll i'll listen to them in real time and i don't think it'll ever be an issue again
8: well i got to give the national alliance some credit because i took my uh last cic update in uh 2020 and I did it online, and I was, like, pounding Mountain Dew Code Red the whole time, <laughs> like I was back in high school trying to stay awake. And I think I fell asleep for the last hour. Uh, so, so maybe I maybe I didn't do the best job on that. But um, they actually let me skip uh, 2021 altogether. So my next update is not due until June, until June of this year.
1: How so long have you had your CIC?
8: 2014.
1: Okay. Okay. So at some point, you don't have to do it every year, right? Yeah, Isn't it like in every other year? Ten years? Ten I don't know. I think that may be part of the reason I'm ahead, too.
8: Well, and that's interesting because in, in Georgia,
6: well,
8: in, in Georgia, you don't have to have as many CE hours if you are a CIC. So I think they probably figured, you know, Figure that into the, the calculation because they're like, well, if these guys are only going every other year, then we need to reduce the amount of CE that they that they need to take. So, but I think where it really helps you is just, um, you know, the practical application. I mean, because they get in there and they read the policy forms and some of that stuff can be can be kind of dry. But I definitely think if you can take that information and use it to your advantage in, in a practical way, then then to me that's where the rubber you know, really meets the road with that.
1: Agreed. Well, listen, I don't want you guys to waste your entire lunch break chatting with me, so let's go ahead and wrap it up. Delosier, close us out, man. <laughs> Drop that bomb on me. I am. I'm going to do the same thing to you that I do to Kyle every time. <laughs> close us out. Yeah, I mean, what's the, what do you want to leave him with? All right! Uh, all right! All right! I don't know.
7: Were not you talking not, about Matthew were, McConaughey? Yeah. yeah. Give it, well, give I can't it, say it. Give us a Matthew <laughs> no, McConaughey I quote. I will butcher it. It will be. It would be insulting. Here it is. Power
8: control. producers out there sweat every single day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Get out there, embrace the grind. The process isn't sexy, but the paychecks are. People, we'll catch you next time.
0: You've been listening to the Power Producers podcast.